Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So I want you to just imagine for a moment, and you don't have to think really hard about this because this still exists in our lovely little world, growing up in a very rural area, feel like you're the only one. But then, hey, you're you know just surrounded by all this masculine, toxic energy, and you go and you work on the farms or you work in the coal mines or whatever it might be. I know I grew up in those kind of areas. And as a young man, I kind of had to hide my truth and go, hmm, I wonder how this is going to play out. And then there you are, the little boy who grew up in an area, you're bracing your own coming out, but you're not sure how this is going to land. Well, that's what we're talking about today on Life Uncloseted. I have a really cool guest who's got a brand new book coming out. The book is called Boys in Oil, and his name is Taylor Brorby. And I can't wait to have this conversation because there's a lot of similarities here, Taylor, that you and I went through growing up. So um, let's just kind of dive in. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for having me, Rick. So it's it's definitely a different world to kind of live in, right? When you live in those rural counties and towns because you feel really isolated. And I think that's kind of the basis of what you're writing in Boys in Oil, correct? That is correct. It's It's been uh, such a revelation to me to since the book came out in early June to figure out not only other gay men who grew up in rural America writing to me, but even straight men who just... Mm had different experiences of, I wasn't interested in sports or I loved nature. Right. I had this experience of hanging out with girls more than boys and that type of isolation, especially the book is written pre main internet. I mean, when dial up mm-hmm. was first coming around. And so we're talking like the original queer eye for the straight right, right, right. eye or will and grace, but those happened elsewhere. That was in New York. And I didn't see people like on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy or anyone Will and Grace. And so there became this weird thing in my mind of saying, there must be something wrong with me. I better Mm -hmm. just to myself. I better not talk about this. I don't know why, but I better just not share how I feel about other guys. Mm -hmm. I remember vividly standing in my grandmother's kitchen we lived in colorado and little she they had a farm they weren't super you know super wealthy people but they made a good living and everything and i remember her talking about you know this is back in the days when you know mexican helpers were considered wetbacks and all this sort of stuff right yeah Yeah. and i remember her making a comment about one of the you know farm hands going yeah he's an interesting one. He's kind of a little light in the pants. And I remember thinking as a kid going, I don't quite understand that. So I waited until we left and said something to my parents and my dad's older brother was gay. 
And he goes, oh, well, that's just a reference to like, you know, being something like your Uncle Will, you know, queer, you know, fag, you know, whatever. And I'm like, wow. And just like a short, like one hour span, I'm like, assault, assault, assault. Even at the time, I wasn't a really sure what was going on with me. I mean, I was already kind of like, oh, guys, you know, men kind of interesting. Right. But um, it's. It is interesting to see how many people grow up this way. And it's not just, again, gay men. I've seen so many straight guys assaulted in the same way. I think just even on that spectrum we're talking about, there there was something for me that I write about in the book in eighth grade when other boys' bodies were starting to change. And they would talk about girls and what they were feeling when they would see girls. And I had no sort of emotion or surge through my body, like what the guys I was in school were talking about. And then because my body would react when there would be, let's say like a jock that would walk by or something, I knew I needed to hide whatever was going on within me because that felt so dangerous, especially when you're a male, your body can betray yourself. I mean, every Every man can relate. And, and once you hit puberty, you stop wearing athletic shorts to school because right. a slight breeze can make, you know, right. you put the tent and stuff. And, and it was just one of those things where there was something in the air that just told me if you are found out, it's not only going to be uh, emotionally horrific, right. there's probably going to be some assault that happens. Absolutely. It's so funny that you brought up the whole athletic shorts because I was shopping online for some new shorts. And of course I'm on, I'm on one of the big gay sites, like woof, you know, I'm like, let's get the enhancers so that everything shows through the, you know, it's so funny how suddenly it's like, okay, now here's where we are in our world. It's like, Oh hell no. We want that to show, you know, totally, totally. <laughs> so crazy. But to that point, I was actually coaching one of my clients not long ago and they brought up that same situation. He goes, I still somewhat have a phobia to wearing athletic shorts just because he goes, I, I just don't feel comfortable. Yeah. It was like a shame thing. Yeah. And um, that's as far as I'll take it. But let's just say there, there's some shame around beyond just the shorts itself. Like, there's an anatomical shame that he has around that. Like everybody could see everything and he got made fun of for being, well, we'll go there for being so much more well endowed as a young boy than the others. And then that was a shaming thing too. And I think sometimes we don't get these things that, Oh my gosh, that's part of this whole equation too. Well, I think that's part of just the trauma of, as you're saying, Rick, toxic masculinity that, so many men, I think, have these stories. And since we don't talk about them, we never really get to what's making other men tick or what sort mm-hmm. of trauma are men carrying. Or, you know, when I was playing basketball growing up, I hated when the coach would have us do shirts versus skins. I hated taking off my shirt and being yep. just showing my body. And it just, uh, there was just something so risky, not even about sexual attraction, but I just wasn't, since I wasn't straight, I wasn't one of these guys who walked around without his shirt on, right. just confident and, you know, being like a male rooster or something. Right. Well, but there's also something too, that's interesting about that. And, and I haven't even thought about 
shirts or the skins and ears. But now that we understand ourselves too, there's like, you take your shirt off and suddenly there can be some stimulation, just cool air on the nipples. And suddenly there we go again. Right. Yeah. Um, there's, and now, especially, you know, for guys that are really like into, you know, the male scent, it's like, that could be a trigger. And those days too, it's like, Oh, this testosterone and this, you know, you know, masculine BO and stuff there. I mean, there's so many things that I don't think many people really understand how closeted things are that we hid from so many people. You know, I was, I was, I was fairly athletic, not, I mean, not overly, but I wasn't good. I was good at football. I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four. So I can just pretty much pounce anybody and like you're done. <laughs> uh, but I didn't like it. I'm like, oh, hold on. You're done. Let me push you, <laughs> out. Let me push you out of the way. Uh, but I, w- I went to a private church school where intramural sports wasn't even, it wasn't anything we did even outside of our school. It was all done within our school. Don't all crazy stuff why we did that. But, um, I didn't go, I didn't live on campus. It was a boarding school. So anytime I had to change clothes for gym, I was like changing in like the bathroom at the gym. There wasn't even locker rooms because everybody else lived on campus. Right. Right. But then if I had to go to the dorm to like, okay, well, I'm going to go change in the dorm. Oh my gosh. Uh, You know, just going into the dorm, multiple shower clock. I just was like, this frightens the hell out of me. So that's yeah. why I would change. Everybody's like, why don't you just go change in the dorm? Come on. I'm like, no, it's fine here. Cause like, at least in the bathroom stall, I can change and nobody sees me. Right. That's right. So of course then, you know, when it was rope climbs and all these other things, I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, I just couldn't stand it. And again, it's just the layering upon layering upon layering. So then like you suddenly here we are being raised in these rural environment. And it's like, you're the farm guy, you're the kid working on the, you know, all this different stuff. And then, you know, in your case, you know, you're in an area where it's oil country and all that same with mine. And there's just almost like this overriding, like masculine testosterone feel to living in those areas. And I don't, I've been thinking about this now for years, where that comes from or how that's developed, where you know, four generations of my family work in coal, oil, and natural gas, beginning Mm -hmm. with coal with my great grandfather. And growing up in South Central North Dakota, my relatives would call it God's country, but they'd make their money by destroying that country. And I just wonder if after decades of doing that and multiple generations doing that, if that creates a type of trauma or PTSD of saying, Mm -hmm. well, we think this place is beautiful, but because of modern economics, this is the only way we can make our living. And then there's just this sort of latent anger I have found in these men, even if they're jovial, when they're sober, they're good bullshitters, things like this. It just seems to be that in that type of structure, fossil fuel extractive economies, people know that they're poisoning themselves or destroying Mm -hmm. the earth and hoping they're making enough money. But I think that does increase violence. Yeah. Well, it not only increases violence, but you just said something I found really interesting. Like, we think this is, you know, this is God's country and it's beautiful. And then here we do this. Right. Same thing. Well, we think you're a wonderful person, da da da. But exact. No, I mean it's that's the same the, concept. 
you know, we think you're a great person. And, and I've argued this with, well, I've argued this with more people and I, I won't even argue it anymore. It's like, you can't say you love me and then take, turn around and stab me in the back and like, right. here we go again, come after my marriage and everything and you know, all this right. sort of stuff. Right. It yeah. just, it doesn't make sense, but I'm sure for you, because some listeners may not really grasp this, like, oh my gosh, we think hiding, like hiding in a, you know, rural area is 10 times worse than hiding like in, you know, suburbia. I mean, yes, there's more people to deal with probably suburbia wise, but there's also more people who are like, fuck this, I'm out, screw you. This is the way I am, right? There's nowhere to hide when you're rural. I mean, I remember one incident so we lived on the farm, but my mom worked in town at a doctor's office. So sometimes during the summer, we didn't have to like spend our whole days on the farm working. We'd like, we get a day in town. I know this. Yep. People are going, really? You got a day in town? I'm like that was yeah. a big freaking deal. That, was a, big okay? that yeah. was a huge deal. So we got a day in town to go to the swimming pool, all this sort of stuff. And I will never forget one incident with what I would consider probably my best friend. We're in the pool. Yep. And I'm at the edge of the pool, kind of hanging over, looking out onto the sidewalk, not really looking at everybody else. And he comes up behind me and kind of wraps his arm around me like he's going to pull me into the pool. And I, of course, I grab on like, nope, not going. Yeah. But then the next thing I feel is not that. I feel something in his groin area. And I'm like, wait. And then suddenly I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something I wrote about in my book too, where it's like, okay, this whole uncomfortableness just happened. And what do I do? Can't right. get out of the pool. He can't yeah. get out of the pool. We have oh. to kind of swim away from each other to like calm this whole thing down. Of course, the more you're like, let's calm down the little, <laughs> let's but, calm oh. down our penis. Let's calm yeah. down the penis. Yeah. It's not going to calm down. All we're thinking right? about is the penis. Yes. yes, exactly. But also even the simplest things like saying, I don't want to play that. I don't want to play that sport or I don't want to, you know, that was such a huge sign of what's wrong with you. There's... I come from a you know family of small Viking men who are when you're tiny you have to be mighty sort of thing. Mm. My dad was like Hulk Hogan sort of personality, and so growing up, you know, I'd play games like Smear the Queer, King of the Hill, and things like that, and always had to be first. Like had to be first in the hundred yard dash, had to be first in the amount of pull ups I could do, and things like this. But I just so did not want to do sports. My dad had knee surgery at forty. And I remember him talking and saying, oh, this is because of football. And I thought, nope, not good to it. Want my body to still be fine at 40. But I kept getting egged on to be in wrestling because of like mm-hmm. low center of gravity and stuff. Right. And I had thought about it. I thought, oh, maybe I could do this. And I just knew though, Rick, once I hit puberty, that friction and everything yep. was just... I mean, similar to you talking about the locker rooms, I I grew up in a town of 600 in a county without a stoplight, but somehow we had an indoor swimming pool. So for Mm. Jim, for a semester, we would have swimming. It was, I loved it basically, but what I didn't love was then changing in that locker room while other boys would be running around like, you know, howler monkeys naked, snapping Uh towels. (laughs) I was the first in line to shower quickly, to change, to get the hell out of there. Because in eighth grade, when boys started getting baseballs for biceps, I just knew, like you're saying in that pool, 
if my body betrayed me, you, you know, I, yeah, I just don't even want to think what life would have been like. So I'm curious just because again, we have such a similar, similar experience. The other thing too, that was very betraying is there's something about really masculine guys living in the country that like, that's a whole, not just Kai's my own age. I mean, there were farmers that would come by. Oh, there were, you know, ranchers that would come by. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't, oh, I just, yes, I was like a little bitch in heat, honestly. Well, I mean, there is still a part of me that that is definitely the body type I'm attracted Mm -hmm. to because I think it is what trained my gaze was just these men with these hulking thighs and these skillet sized Mm -hmm. hands. And it just was like, bodies built from necessity like these guys right. didn't have to go to the gym Mm-mm. they would carry like you know creamers of milk up the stairs right. just these huge you know i don't know 20 gallon creamers and stuff right. and just this sort of mass like you right. knew these bodies were powerful right. and they just look a certain way because they have to be like a working animal on a mm-hmm. farm mm-hmm. Well, and then from there, I mean, my dad was in construction. So not only did I work the farm, but then when I got old enough, which wasn't nearly old enough, he started telling us we had to start working with him at, you know, eight, 10 years old. I'm like, really? Can we just have a childhood for God's sake? Would be nice. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Then I had the whole construction crew thing. That's a whole nother, you know, Yeah. there was times that I was like, so glad for that porta party. Cause I'm like, you know what? I I just got to go. I got to go. I got to go take care of some business and it's not the business you're thinking because, you know, shirts off, definitely construction. It's like, they're off when it's hot shirtless and you know, everything. But then again, there's the conflict. And I think this is what you have brought so well together in boys and oil is like, here's, here's the story. Here's the background. Here's the truth. But then let's look at even the deeper truth because each one of these things was like just a contradiction of how you show up in your world yeah. and it always ignited something else. And even there are even times now that, well, like you, there's a certain masculinity that just turns me on. Right. right. And I can be at like a farmer's market and see a guy who's like somebody who owns his own farm. I'm like that right there. Yes. Thank you. Or I can see like, you know, somebody who's a rancher or something or a construction guy. I'm like, hello, hallelujah. Right. But then it's like, but then I'll catch myself going, wait, hold on. You're like, you're like staring at this guy. And he, you know, so. And he might not like that staring. Well, he may not, but you know, hey, you know, it, you know, no, no offense, buddy. Just right. Take it as a compliment. Yeah, Yeah. take it as a compliment. I'm trying not to be that masculine like you're a great piece of meat, but you are a great piece of meat. (laughs) I hate to go that route because I'm like, that's like telling a woman she's a great piece of, you know, pussy or ass or whatever, either too. But so, you know, I try not to go there very often. But so what do you feel like was the like, okay, I have to write this book. Why? Why for you? because it doesn't exist. I mean, that I'm sort of a lazy writer in that way. The books I've written, when I look at bookshelves, I'll sort of sit and think, why hasn't someone written that book? Mm. To my knowledge, this is the first book, the first memoir. And it was important for me to sort of come out of the gate with a memoir 
of growing up gay on the Northern Great Plains or the Intermountain West. I mean, a huge multi-state region. I mean, we have fiction. If you ask most people, oh, name a piece of queer literature from the American West. Of course, they'll say Brokeback Mountain, a short 28 page, you know, short story, but it's very violent, of course. And I wanted to write a book that showed my life in that landscape and other states around where I grew up just what it meant to be gay, because that book did not exist on the library bookshelf. I'm not even sure I would have read it growing up, but I thought if there's not a book that says, hi, someone like me has grown up in a place like me, how can you think that you're normal or that you have a place to be or that you should exist there? You know, it's for so many of us who are gay, we've tried to get out of where we come from, myself included, But that can create another type of trauma. And just even growing up there to feel that isolated, I'm the only one who's ever felt this way. I'm the only one who comes from a world like this. Uh, That's just simply not true. And so I wrote this for the 12-year-old that I was, the 14-year-old, and knowing that there are other gay boys in particular, but queer people in these rural spaces that I thought, let me bring this book out in the hopes that other people then write their stories. Cause I think we all know we're not alone. You and I grew up in rural America, but how many queer stories from rural America right. are we actually hearing? Right. And, and I feel like that was part of the reason I felt so compelled to write my book too, because I, I mean, there's other late in life coming out books now, but when I looked at the landscape, there wasn't a lot of them nor was there those stories. I mean, there were a few, but really the stories like, okay, we actually worked through this. There were struggles and trials, but we actually went through it. A lot of times when somebody comes out late in life, who's been married in a heterosexual relationship, it does not go well at all. And it's explosion and it's hate and da, 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 da. so I'm glad that you saw like, here's this opening for me to tell a story because and those who've listened to my podcast know this, we can get very complacent in how we feel about, oh, but why is this such a big deal, right? And then here we sit in 2022 with a Supreme Court justice thinking, well, we need to revisit this, you know, gay marriage thing, right? Right. So the, the work is never done. And in the greater scheme of things, and I'm not gonna knock any particular states, but there's a lot of those, you know, red states that this is where these issues still reside. Yes. There are still people who feel threatened. There are still kids hiding. There are transgender individuals who risk their life on the daily. There is so much of this. And yet then we sit here and go, but well, why are people still coming out of the closet late in life? Just because of this crap right here. Right, so. exactly. And I think it's part of that that statement that I love and support by the Trevor Project of it gets better, I get why we have to say that to queer youth. Life is really complicated, but when we're saying it gets better, the Trevor Project just released this, you know, their latest study from last year's landscape of mental health amongst LGBTQ plus youth. 45% of queer youth last year contemplated killing themselves. Mm-hmm. That number is higher among BIPOC queer yep. youth and transgender queer youth. And that's another reason I wanted to bring this book out was just to sort of say, 
you need to stay around. Like, I mean, what does it say about the country we live in if 45% of queer youth think killing themselves is a viable option? Right. It's, that's a horrific landscape to be living in, much less when, as you're pointing out, Rick, one of the most powerful people in the country, Clarence Thomas, is saying, let's revisit this issue. Right. I mean, these things, as you're saying, we're never done. We have to keep fighting and we can't mm-hmm. stop. No. It's not finished. I mean, we're back at it. We are back at it. And unfortunately, because of the way people don't think through things, it's like you really don't think this is going to affect you. You know, it's like the whole Roe versus Wade thing. You did. Oh, well, I'm not going to have ever get an abortion. OK, that's not the point. They just told somebody, women, that you can't do what you want to do with your own personal body, which means they can come to any of us now and say, oh, and by the way, you can't either. You can't have sex with your husband in your own house. You can't be this. It doesn't matter. And people don't get it. This is just, unfortunately, it could be the domino effect that there's so much more, of course, except, you know, if you're married, a black man to a white woman, that won't come up because he didn't mention that. But you know, unfortunately, if we don't think through the true ramifications, and I know we're preaching to the choir here, if you don't want to get married to a gay, then don't marry a gay. If you don't want to have an abortion, then don't have an abortion. Right. If you do, if you don't want to like practice Christianity, then don't practice Christianity or Islam or whatever it is. That is your right. But I think books like yours is what sets the tone for A, you're not alone, number one, and B, if we don't keep this front and center in every way possible. I have thought numerous times and literally in the last few weeks, I've thought like, I'm done with this podcast. I just, I'm tired. I And I'm not stopping folks. I'm telling you, I'm not stopping, but I'm actually more energized now. Like, fuck this. The fight is on. We are yeah. going to have more content about this than anything else because- I don't care if I only reach out and hit 20,000 people. That's 20,000 people that may not have any other access to having these conversations, oh, right. which a lot of time it is. And I think you're going to find this too with your book, Taylor. Even if just one young person downloads the book onto their watch or their phone and keeps it hidden from those people, it can give them hope. Right. And that's all we need is hope right now. And that's what we need to be doing for each other. I think that's why your podcast is so important. Even if we're talking to the choir, sometimes the choir needs to be whipped into a fury, you know, to sing louder. And I think we are really in that moment right now. I mean, I understand why we all need to keep safe. I don't go into situations that put myself at risk. But like Mm -hmm. I was saying to you before we started, I mean, this fall, I'll be going on two months worth of book tour to rural Montana, Indiana, all over the country. But part of that is just because I feel like, okay, I now have a platform and I need to be getting out there to sharing that message with others elsewhere because it's so important in an election year, especially to be out there. And as you're saying, keeping this front and center, especially in rural America, Mm -hmm. everyone has a queer person in their family. You don't have to go that far to find one. They might not be out, but this impacts everyone we know. And so it's one of those things to say, you know, what is it about that toxic masculinity mindset that just wants to keep other people down and hold 
hold society back. I mean, that's really what we're fighting right now. And if we don't stand up and we don't fight, which I know, I know most of us won't do that, but then there's some, it's like, what's the point? The point is don't, that's when the fight has to happen even harder. You can't back off. It's like, you know, and I don't want any, I don't love it when people waste their votes. Well, my candidate didn't. Okay. But this time around, it is not necessarily about the candidate. It's about right. the greater good at this it point. Yeah. And I feel like your book helps people see you may not think that what you're going to read here matters, but it does because this is real life. Even today, it may not be quite the way it was, you know, as you and I were growing up, but it's not a far stretch. I mean, I literally grew up in the County where lovely <laughs> Bobart is the representative. And I'm just oh. like, I will, ne- and I hate it because I loved where I lived there. But at that point in time, I wasn't into politics, none of this, you know, and I'm like, I can't believe this. I can't believe that this is what that, you know, those people say is what they want. Yeah. But this is why the fights are so important, why books like yours and continuing to put out stuff where rather even this podcast gives people hope. So what was the hardest thing for you? Because I know pulling a book like this together can be really challenging. It is really challenging, and particularly because it's a, it's a memoir that basically covers my entire life almost up until right. the point. So it's some memoirs are more about, let's say, complete trauma narratives or about addiction and recovery or about abuse and survival. And my the hard thing was was to figure out what are some resonant memories mm-hmm. that create this life about growing up gay in rural America, the American West. There's a moment in there that is very intense where my aunt outs me to my parents. We're still in the long fallout. This happened 12 years ago. My parents and I do not speak. We don't communicate. But that's not the whole point of the book. And it's not a revenge narrative or a tell-all. The hardest thing was to just tell it straight. To not sort of say, okay, reader, I want you to have this interpretation by the end. Right. Or I want you to, that there are sides. It was more yeah. like a lawyer kind of presenting evidence. And that's really hard to do as a writer because I want people to like me. I want people to agree with me, you know? But part of that is you have to show your whole self as a character on the page. I think Taylor right. Borby's fun. I think he's. He loves dancing, all these sorts of things. But there are also parts of me that I'm human like other people. And I need to give some of that evidence as well. So I think telling it straight was probably the hardest thing just because I want people to like me. And uh, and you want a story that's true rather than just saying, please like me at the end of this. Right. Well, and that's the thing is you don't know. I mean, I... Kind of did the same thing. I wrote my truth. Some people very close to me were not happy about the truth that I wrote. I'm like, well, but this is what it was. You know, I'm not not necessarily calling you out because of what you did. But in ways I did. And then, you know, I've had other people go, I can't believe you share all that detail of your life. I'm like, I share that detail of my life. Not for me, not to grandstand. 
because there are hundreds of thousands and possibly millions of people who, if they could read this, they would finally go, oh, I guess I'm not alone. Right. I I guess I'm not alone. And, And we have to, in good storytelling, we have to share those particular details. I mean, that's what helps us see ourselves in these other people. Even if you go, I'm not Taylor Brorby, you know, but I'm reading this. Oh, I felt that. And like you're saying, it gives us hope. It helps us feel less alone. Right. And that's the thing is that the sooner you can feel less alone and you feel like you're part of something bigger than your own world, then you can start to make decisions and move forward. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not easy. It's, it's, part of just being who you are in the world but the more you realize i can move forward which so many people don't feel like they can right so then that's when they get to that scary space of oh you know this isn't this isn't what i think i'm capable of doing but yet you can when you give yourself um that permission to do it so as you've worked through this and i know you've got a couple other books too but as you've worked through each one what's the thing you're most proud of I think my ability to keep going. No one's really asked me that before. I'm sorry, Rick. That's, that's an incredible question. I, when I think about how alone I felt at different points in my life, being a child, or even once I was outed and uh, dropped out of seminary, I was going to Princeton Seminary and, and had left there had left for there the month after I was outed. And it was the first time I felt like an absolute failure. I mean, I grew up in a, trailer house in a county without a stoplight and coal country. Mm-hmm. And I thought I went to the moon. I got into Princeton. That's incredible. Albert Einstein's house is down the block. And wow. I couldn't keep it emotionally together. Right. And I dropped out because of this massive trauma. And, and what I'm most proud of is that I've stuck around mm-hmm. and that I've kept going. I mean, life is not easy. It, it for me hasn't always gotten easier in the ways I've expected at least, but the ability to keep pushing sentences across the page and to just keep going. That's what I'm most proud of. So what's next? Another book? (laughs) It is, but I, I'm not supposed to talk about it, but I will, I will just say you can expect more about rural America and you can expect things in nonfiction and I think fiction as well. So that's sort of my big, that big American West landscape is what I'm really obsessed with, with getting uh, more queer characters in that landscape and more writing about that part of the world, because it's not all just cowboys in the wild, wild West, right. but I, I want us to see ourselves in those landscapes mm-hmm. because we're there. We're there. Exactly. The thing is, is this is the whole thing. All of these things that politicians think they're going to do to make this shit go away. Every day, there's another little queer baby born. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. In Wyoming. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, kind of like you're fucking stupid people. This isn't, you know, and I, I, that's the part I don't get you know, is like, wow, this has been happening for hundreds of thousands, depending on how you believe millions of years. And you think because of who you are, that you're going to change this in a heartbeat. And the thing is, is, you know, it isn't going to happen. They can try, but I I feel like our, a just 
I hope what I feel is women are really charged right now. And if yes. they try to pull this stunt with our community, we're going to be so free. I mean, people of color are already charged. So, you know, right. now right. there's a, there's that whole, sometimes I wonder what some of them are thinking if they're supporting some of this, but again, it comes down to, if you're not, if you're not awake and thinking about this stuff, yeah, it's kind of on you. It is so, on you because other people's rights are your rights. As you, I mean, well, exactly. I don't know about you, Rick, but uh, I wouldn't be around if it weren't for women. Yes, you know? exactly. So, I mean, with what just happened, I view that as a direct threat, not only to me, but mm -hmm. to the people I love who have supported me and been there for me. And so right. you're exactly right. That fight is our fight. Well, it is, you know, because, and here's a correlation. I mean, I saw an article over the weekend where Missouri is, saying a pregnant woman cannot get a divorce. Right. So here again, if they can tell a, a pregnant woman they can't do this, that we're not, we're little bitty steps away from them telling you what you and can and can't do in That's your right. world. But right. people are idiots to not believe this stuff. I, I know, or I just don't know if people think they're going to be safe. I mean, we're not safe, we're under assault right now. And everybody's under assault and, yes. and people don't realize whatever chess piece gets moved, it kind of moves all of humanity right now. Right. You know? Right. And I don't know. We could go, obviously we could go on and on and on. <laughs> but out of this whole experience as an author, one of the things that I found is I healed so many of my own wounds. Yeah. Writing that. And I'm actually in the midst of book number two right now. Good. Doing the editing shit. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. <laughs> well, and it's only the first round. Of I haven't even put it to an editor yet. I'm just trying to like, wait, because I wrote this one over like a almost a two year period. I'm like, this is a mess because there's sometimes you can really hear my beautiful voice. And I'm like, well, I have this alter ego that I like to bring in. Right. She's, a, she's a diva. But I'm like, well, this is the mainstream one. So do I want the diva in or do I not? Or do I just call her sister instead of lemonade pop my, you know, drag diva alter ego? <laughs> <laughs> but each time I, I was working on it yesterday for the first time in a while, I was like, okay, come on, you got nothing going on, girl. So let's sit down and get something done. Right. And even as I was working through it, I'm like, I haven't thought about that in a while. I haven't yeah. thought about how that makes me feel or what would I do in that, you know? So it's really good, but I'm curious, have you had a similar experience? Like suddenly things get healed. You see yourself in a different light. Any yeah. of that happen? I think for me, it just settled a lot of things. Like when I think about these certain memories in my life, not that they're done or finished, but it's kind of like, I've had my say. Right. Like, okay, I've now covered that. It's out there. I can, in some ways, let that go, both in my writing life, but also kind of in my own memory of saying, you did that. This is now out there for other people to learn from or consume or whatever they want to do with it. And I think what's helped me feel like I've healed is to be hearing from readers. I mean, I figured this would happen, but every day to hear from a different gay man who grew up in North Dakota, it helped me go, I'm not crazy. So right. in that way that, you know, 14 year old Taylor Brorby is calmed down because in fact he wasn't alone 
It's just that we were all trying to fucking survive and not get killed, like literally. And, and so that's helped me heal in that way. It's actually like given me um, momentum and power to just know when I speak or when I'm out there doing interviews or book reads to know, yeah, there are queer people in these landscapes and they might not be out, but they certainly need you to be out, Taylor, when you're speaking. Um, right. You give them, like you're saying, hope and energy and the ability to be themselves. So in that way, I do feel like I've healed because I've even, it's felt like it's changed me that I'm now even more out and proud because of this book than I felt at any other point in my life. Have you come across, because this happened to me, <clears throat> any of your fellow farm kids, rural kids, high school kids, and suddenly here it is, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later for me, it was, I think the first time I ran into somebody, I'm like, oh, so you were queer too. Isn't this interesting? Have you had that happen? There was, um, this was before the book, but this is in the book that in high school, so we moved out of my small town 600 to Bismarck, which felt like a Mecca at 65,000 people. Mm-hmm. And I was in a, in a close friend group of four, four girls and four boys. And my buddy Drew and I both dated women in high school and both were on student council, all these sort of things, very, very close. And Drew was loud like I am and very funny. And then years later on Facebook, I see that Drew is engaged to a man. And I just sent him the sauciest email. I was like, you son of a bitch. You never told me you were gay. When he goes, you didn't tell me either, you bitch. You know, and it was just. Well, but the thing is, is we wouldn't dare because what if we did and it was the wrong person, you know? Exactly. And Drew was on the football team. We were both in band, but it was just one of these things of, um, you know, there was a petition in high school my sophomore year to have the one openly gay boy who right. was very flamboyant. There was a petition circulated to have him change in the girls' locker room. And that, you can imagine, put the kibosh on any of us coming out because we thought, oh my God, this is what could happen to us. And this this is in the book, but Levi transferred schools. I mean, he did right. not stay at that high school. And so, so that has happened though later in life or not even fully, uh, not fully, that's not the right language. People have come out as bisexual or mm-hmm. asexual since high school. And that's been so heartening. It's just so nice to be liberated from that time of life and to sort of go, shit we were all just trying to survive but wouldn't it be great if we could survive in high school without having to be in closet yep yep i remember the first couple of times i ran into people i was just like okay that doesn't surprise me right and then there were a couple i'm like okay wow (laughs) i wasn't expecting that one you know um but then I also, by that point, you know, I'd already quote unquote lived my hidden life for so long. Yeah. And I'd already started doing this work of being a coming out coach and really working in our own community that I'm like, okay, don't judge. You were there too, man. Like, right. like embrace and celebrate, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's part of another reason why putting books out like you have is 
giving people the opportunity to embrace and celebrate that simply. So, well, Taylor, congrats on another book. Thanks, Rick. Enjoy the the book tour and all the other stuff going on in your lives. And um, maybe one day we'll be walking down a street or something and we'll go looking at each other like, Hey, are you looking at that hot construction guy over there? That's me too. So maybe we do know each other. I'll bring our fans. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, so I so enjoyed this conversation, man. Again, if anybody wants to find you, where's the best place to find you, your books, what's your website? Yep. It's Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, Brorby, B-R-O-R-B-Y.com. And they can find anything they need there. Awesome. And I'm assuming your books can be found pretty much anywhere books are sold. Yeah. Bookstores around the country. And if yeah. your bookstore doesn't have it, they'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can catch him on any work in any street corner selling his books right. like we all do as his authors. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, again, man, I so appreciate you. And as I almost always do, if somebody would like a copy of his latest book, please email me at rick at rickclemens.com. I will get you a copy of his book sent to you, my gift to you, Taylor, just because I think it would be great for somebody to get it. Um, So remember, boys and girls who listen, if you've already gotten a book, you don't get another one, okay? And I do keep track of this stuff, okay? But um, if you would like a copy of his book and you haven't received one yet, please email rick at rickclemens.com and we will get one sent over to you. So, all right, my friend, go have a good day, okay? You too, Rick. Thanks for having me. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping into living your life uncloseted.